You're listening to Spool and Tell, a very dorky movie podcast. We take you now to a random conversation already in progress. Uh, and then recently I also saw uh, A Streetcar Named Desire for the first time. Oh, interesting. Which, have you seen that one? No, have not seen it. Uh, I mean, I'd put it on your list, but that one is banking on you really liking particular acting styles. Uh, okay. Which really works well for Brando because he's amazing in it. Uh but uh, ultimately, the story wasn't quite my kind of thing. Uh, okay. I think it's a lot more interesting aesthetically than it is story-wise, which perhaps brings us to today's discussion. Um, do I not get to say what I've been watching? Okay, yes. Go ahead and say what you've been watching. No, I didn't, no, I didn't no, mean no, to pass no, you over. Fine. It's just I didn't want to overlook an opportunity no, for a segue. That's fine. But no, I, won't, we should... I won't tell you about no. Airport 77 I don't know or what The that Bride is. of Boogity. I, uh, the Bride you know, of Boogity? The you watched The Bride of Boogity? Of course, I grew up on it. Mr. Boogity. Sure, I I know of Mr. Boogity. I didn't know Bride of Boogity was also a thing. That's a movie that exists? Yeah. I don't need, Is this one even on Disney Plus? I don't think so. Wow. You and your cat from outer space yep. and your flight of the navigator and your great hey, mouse detective. and. You, you, Listen, there's going to be... St Listen, when you're my age, you're going to meet someone who's about your age now, and they're going to have that view on some of your stuff. So I'd hold off on the criticism there, JD. I'm sorry, but my stuff is like Beauty and the Beast, which was the animated movie that got nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Mr. Boogity isn't exactly in that territory. Well, I will tell but you, Lassie was nominated for Best Actor at the Oscars, so... Good. <laughs> Good. As it should be. But, um, but you have to look at that time period of Disney pre pre Beauty and the Beast as just it is what it is. You know, you're gonna find movies like Little Spies, uh, Mr. Boogity, Bride of Boogity, that it's a weird time frame. Well, right, but that's part of I, I like that. I like that about that era of Disney. That to me is one of the most interesting eras of Disney. Like I like a lot of the nineties stuff, which is I mean the live action stuff during the nineties is still kind of crazy. Uh, but the 80s has some of the most interesting Disney movies ever. Not always the best, but some of the most interesting. And that's part of why for episode one, we started with we started with Dragon Slayer, because it's right there in 1980, kind of starting this really weird uh, phase for the Disney studio that then takes a turn when you have the new management running their live action stuff with Splash and everything that follows with uh, Touchstone and all that. But yeah, all that like... You know, like, the, I like the weird dark stuff. Like, the stuff that I can't seem to find on streaming that I want to watch right now from Disney is your Watcher in the Woods, Something Wicked This Way Comes, that kind of thing. Mm. And that's rare. That's that's hard to get your hands on right now. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm not sure what's going on. Like, on, on certain digital buying platforms, um, they only allow you to rent Mr. Boogity. They don't allow you to yeah. buy it. And so it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Like, why would you do that? Just don't put it on. I get annoyed by kind of the opposite thing where like for a while there for, if you wanted to watch a Miyazaki movie, like Spirited Away, you could buy it digitally, but they wouldn't let you just rent it. And so it's mm. like, how am I supposed to watch this? But then HBO Max uh, had it as part of their catalog. And I've been enjoying the HBO Max catalog. Um, it's been good. I, I, uh, found that for today's film, I had to try uh, Peacock, which is NBC Universal's weird streaming thing. How is that? And that actually worked. It worked pretty well. Like it was, I'm just doing the free version. I'm not trying premium or anything like that. Okay. Um, and I'm finding watching it on a computer 
I have to watch the movie with ads, whereas mm. on my Roku, I did not have the ads. I could just watch it for free, Okay, which was better. But either way, pretty good quality. I feel like it's a pretty good deal. It looks like they, they've got something good going on there. It's just... I, I, it, realistically, you can't pay for all of the streaming services. No, you can't. Like, at a certain point, you get your own movie collection that you have, all the Blu-rays and digital copies that you have, and then you pick a couple others that are, you know, to supplement it, and then you gotta stop. Like, there's... We can't... I, uh, <laughs> there's no money for paying for all of the services. There's one that I've recently found. It's free. It's an app. It's called Tubi. Like, T-U-B-I. Yeah. Do you know about it? I know a little bit about it. It has all kinds of old, like, kung fu movies, uh, mm. made-for-TV movies from the 80s. Uh, they don't... I'm trying to find one about... Uh, there was a movie called The Ryan White Story. Did you ever mm. see that one? No. I don't know as much about, like, the kung fu genre. Okay. Sorry. Ryan... Sorry. I jumped categories there. Ryan White... You did. Ryan White is not a kung fu artist. Do you know okay. who Ryan White was? I do not. Okay. Very quickly, he was a young man in the 80s who was a hemophiliac and contracted AIDS through a blood transfusion. Okay. And he was like the town that he lived in, citizens would put bullets through their windows. The school wouldn't allow him to go to school because they were afraid that he would, if students touched him, he would give AIDS to them. So this was like, it was like early 80s when this all happened. And sure. so he, um, he became the public face that sort of changed perception on the AIDS epidemic. Because here you have a, you know, a heterosexual young white boy right. who got it through blood transfusion. And it kind of changed the face of what the perception of AIDS is. And he, he was on the Phil Donahue show. He was friends with Michael Jackson, Elton John. And actually his death... Uh, Ryan White's death helped kick Elton John into sobriety because he became Elton John was like, you know, I, 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 I was so happy. It was the first time in my life where I was looking after someone else. You know, I would phone the doctors for Jeannie, Ryan's mother. I would take phone calls, take messages. I would talk to the doctors. And he's like, this is the first time he realized he was just absolutely wasting his life with drug addiction. And um, so the Judith Light stars as Jeannie and Lucas Haas plays sorry as as little Jeannie <laughs> nice one as like the Elton Johnson no 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 Jeannie Jeannie White oh. um, okay. and Ryan White was played by Lucas Haas who m you might know from Witness with Harrison Ford and Nick nope never seen it all right and then Nikki Cox uh, who's an actress played his sister and it was it was it was a made for TV movie in the eighties, so it had some of the things that we all know and love about eighties made for TV movies. But it's a it's a great story to watch if you're looking for one of the better nineteen eighties made for TV movies. Well, that's it. Yeah, but I'm really bummed out that it's not a kung fu movie because I think that the best way to defeat AIDS is to fight it with kung fu. <laughs> Just give it a, a, a kick yeah. and a chop and how, how, you know, good self-defense will stop anything. How, how very American politics of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just um, kick it off. Have you ever seen, totally unrelated, kind of, have you ever seen Police Story? I imagine you have. Why does the that Jackie mean? Chan film. You know what? I have not. Ooh. 
write that down. Maybe I'll show it. I to have you. You'd be into that. I have seen all of Bruce Lee's movies, and I have three, seen Young uh, Young Ninjas or Three Ninjas. Sorry, Three Ninjas. Okay, maybe that'll be one of my uh, future picks okay. for you. I already uh, have. This my, episode... By the way, I already have my next pick for you figured out. Good. This episode uh, was not my pick. Last week was a JD pick. It was Dragon Slayer. Yes. Uh, this episode is a Nick pick. Yay! And we're going to continue to call them Nick picks. I love for that. The, the remainder of the show. <laughs> and we can call yours D picks. I don't understand. That's not my name. My name is JD. I know, but it's J- yeah. But for the joke. So what joke? I don't understand. D-picks. You think that something about Nick picks is funny? That we're going to share your Nick picks no, with I, everyone? I, I think I, I think I think saying that we're going to share your D picks is going to be funny for people. That maybe I'm sorry, I don't weird. understand. What is uh, like a picture of the letter D, like Man. on Sesame Street? Is that? It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry, JD. It's okay. Don't worry. Well, this is a Nick pick. Uh, this is um, <laughs> Nick picks. Nick picks. Come on and play. That's my generation. You're not going to get that one. Oh, light bright. There you um, go. I what? Light brights. You were singing the light bright song. No. What was no, this? this? Again, that's a very you generation. Yes. Pick. I was doing the theme from the computer game kid picks i've never heard that would, how did the song go it, 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 kid picks kid picks come on and play with kid picks i've never heard of it's, that i'm gonna look very, that up it was just a, it was a cd-rom that was basically like a more kid-oriented fun cartoony version of microsoft paint like you could make pictures in it Really? With various tools, make it look more like a penciler, more like a brush, work with images a little bit. And then when you were done with your picture and you thought that you, uh, you know, didn't want to save it or anything, then you would click on like a stick of dynamite or something and it would blow up. Oh, wow. Your artwork. I've never heard of that. It was like in in a computer class in middle school, whenever you had an off day where you'd finished your work, you would just go over to Kid Picks and play wow it was fun what movie have you decided to uh make me watch today because we should probably do explain briefly uh who we are and what the premise of the show is uh, i am jd hansel and i'm dr livingston i presume he's nicholas lemon and this is a show in which we pick weird movies that have left an impression on us or just any interesting movies that have left a strong impression on us and we force the other one to watch it we're presenting them to you in a show and tell fashion uh, hence our uh, show-and-tell segment, for which Nick is showing us a fascinating movie that I had heard a lot about, but I had never actually gotten around to seeing it, and I was excited to finally watch it. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about it? Well, sure. So, ladies and gentlemen, I thought, what kind of movie could I give JD that he might not have seen, but might be up his alley? And I was like, well, he, we both tend to like science fiction or you know, a little bit of horror, that weird stuff. And I was like, okay, well, let's let's pick something more modern up that alley. And I decided to make him watch Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. Yes, and how did you come across this movie? Uh, in the theater. I bought a ticket and went in, J.D. Oh, okay. All right. I just didn't know. Like, how did you hear about no, it? Like, no, had you I, just seen was... the first one and you're like, oh, let's go see. This. Well, I, the, the first one I enjoyed... But the second one, I was like, oh, okay, well, I, I saw the first one. I might as well go and see the second one. And I was just totally blown away by it. I had never heard of Guillermo del Toro. And I was okay. just like, this, he has sort of that, for lack of a better description, the Jim Henson idea of creating worlds. 
Okay. You know, it wasn't it wasn't just, oh, here's a movie. It was he created you know, he had the he had, you know, and I won't get we'll talk about this later, but he had, you know, the world of people with Hellboy, and then the, in this movie they have people with Hellboy, and then there's a troll you know, market. And this whole sure. whole idea of creating worlds upon worlds upon worlds, I was like, this this would be right up your alley. Whether you enjoy it or not, I'm not sure. But I figured this would be right up your alley if you're a fan of the Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. And, you know, I would say even Spielberg, he does that kind of thing where he creates worlds. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a guy who's really into... I guess I'll just say tactile things. I like puppets. I like costumes. I like cool makeup. I like, you know, very fantastical stuff that really plays with uh, physical objects with interesting textures and interesting creatures with interesting bodies. That's kind of my, and interesting sets. Yeah. And world building. That's very much my arena. I like stuff that's kind of theatrical and I'm, uh, both of us are huge Jim Henson nerds. How do you feel about the Dark Crystal? As a movie, Love is it, it one of your favorites? Two, two, okay. The two, two of my favorite Jim Henson projects is Dark Crystal and The Great Muppet Caper. Just hands down, if I if I okay. had if I could only watch two Jim Henson movies for the rest of my life, those two would be it. I okay. think they both epitomize what his mind was like. And for me, it's The Great Muppet Caper and Labyrinth. Uh, I think that people people who know my work probably think that I hate The Dark Crystal. Just because in the past, in other productions we won't get into, I may have uh, cracked maybe a few too many jokes at the expense of the Dark Crystal. Yes, JD, I will uh, give you. It, I've been performing since I've been fourteen. The more you joke about it, even though I know your intention, the more the public will probably take you at your word. Sure, uh, I I don't hate the Dark Crystal. I think I like it. But I, uh, uh, I do have my issues with it. I do. I consider myself a mild Dark Crystal fan, but I think it kind of depends on what is meant by a fan, because there are some people who are just all in for Dark Crystal. Like they buy all the merch, they wear Dark Crystal stuff, they oh. do the cosplay. No, 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 They're no, that's just... me. That's not me. I just like the movie. Sure. Yeah. And so, and uh, whereas I'm in that category of people who's like, I f feel like it's more like uh, fans of Cats, the Andrew Lloyd Webber yeah, yeah, musical, yeah. and or the disastrous movie that was adapted, for, uh, that, that was based on it, uh, where I think that there are fans of it who are into it because it's weird, mm -hmm. right? Like whether it's good or bad, it's just amazing that it exists. Yeah. Have you seen Watership and... Down? No, it's on my list. Okay. If you're a fan of Watership Down or like Lord of the Rings, the books or that the animated Lord of the Rings thing done in the like late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, um, the backstreet Lord of the Rings, right. Yeah, you you will you will enjoy Hellboy, too, because, again, they're kind of their own little worlds to some degree. Um, and I, I, I think knowing you, J.D., mm -hmm. I my guess was that you if I had to guess you enjoyed Hellboy, too. Ooh, a very good guess because Hellboy 2 is doing a lot of things that I do enjoy. I mean, it's a lot of cool puppets and creatures and things. Nick, I think this is a bad movie. Really? This is a bad movie. Why? Uh... Uh, well, my notes start off very positive. Like, the first ten minutes are a very good movie. And then... No, <laughs> um, uh, I think that my problems with it are like my problem is not that it's weird. 
right? Like, I like that it's weird. It's yeah. cool that it's got a lot of weird stuff and weird visuals. Like, it's it's very bold. It's got the audacity to say all this crazy stuff from the Hellboy comics that you wouldn't think would ever make it into a Hollywood movie. Like, because of where Del Toro was in his career, he could just kind of do what he wanted to do and be like, no, this one's going to have big cartoony guns and elves and a mechanical uh, sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Automaton? Um, um, no, with, with that, that whole aesthetic that's like sort of old and rusty. Yeah, a steampunk. Steampunk, yeah. yeah like he, it's going to be a steampunk army. And also one of the main characters, like he was already pushing it in the first one when he's like one of the main characters is a fish man. Yeah. But this time he's like, no, that's not enough. One of them is a gas that is also <laughs> like a cartoonish German military man that's also like walking around in a metal suit to help him that he controls with the gas i mean it's a crazy idea for a character that you that is so over the top that you think would never be in a movie and i love that he's in this <laughs> like i love how how far this goes that this movie is so committed to going all the way into weird crazy fantastical stuff i know uh it does not hold together that's the problem the See, story and this is doesn't a difference work. between you and i i'm looking at it just as a fan and you're looking at it from an academic kind of a little bit of that standpoint. No, I, I think you're wrong about that. Oh. I think that my perspective here was I came in ready to enjoy this movie. Okay. And then going, wait a second. Why don't I feel anything? Why am I not invested in this story? Why do I keep getting confused and uh, just kind of annoyed that I'm not liking it more? Mm -hmm. And then I start as the movie goes on, picking apart the story more and more and trying to deconstruct, okay, so why doesn't this work? What's broken with this screenplay? Because it's all screenplay problems. Like, in terms of direction, for the most part, it's good. I have a few issues there. But really, I was just asking, like, why am I not into this? And then trying to figure it out. If uh, When I look at my notes here, I see, uh, most for, like, page, uh, page one at the top, I've got all these really positive notes. It starts off with really great stuff like opening text is helpful. Yeah, I know. Uh, opening shot is delightful. This movie loves puppets and Christmas. Young John Hurt looks good. Doesn't? He calls Howdy Doody Mr. Deedee Doodoo. <laughs> I love I love that he says Mr. Deedee Doodoo. Like, well, I'm I, so into this. With the opening, I love and, the, the, it's actually an actress who plays the young Hellboy. Oh, wow. Her performance is, I think, very delightful on a young Hellboy. Yeah, I think I. it seems like the, the voice was maybe dubbed. I think uh, so, yeah. But yeah, like, there was a lot of dubbing with this, and it kind of takes me out of it a little bit. But by and large, for a while there, I'm into this. And then as my notes go on, they just get a little more critical and a little more critical until by the end, I'm just shouting about everything oh, that's no. driving me nuts about this movie. Oh, no. Ooh, it I, was, was, it was, I was wrong. Yeah, I'm so, well, I think that now we're seeing the exact reverse of the Dragon Slayer episode, <laughs> where I was like, I think Nick's going to be on board with this. I wasn't sure, but I thought you'd be into it. And then the story wasn't working. Again, you liked the dragon, yeah, right? You I were really into a lot yeah, of the yeah, effects yeah, in the, the world and stuff, but the story didn't quite work for you. Yeah. Now it's kind of flipped, where <laughs> this story was not working for me, and I honestly can't even tell you what the heck the story was. Like, I don't even know what it was fundamentally about. How would you describe the story of Hellboy 2? Okay, so basically, the story of Hellboy 2 is Hellboy and the team have to stop a baddie um, called Prince Nuada, 
who wants to re resurrect the golden army. And because they have, if, if he resurrects the golden army, it will bring about, as you see in the beginning, uh, basically world strife between the golden army, Prince Nuada and uh, people. And so they're on the journey to try and stop the prince from getting that. On the way, they also have to deal with things like tooth fairies, like with a big giant green plant thing, um, saving babies. Um, so that's effectively how I would describe the movie if I was pitching it. Right. And so then my question from a story perspective is what is the plot? How is it centered around Hellboy specifically? Because by and large, it's like a fun fantasy narrative about having to put together the three parts of a fantastical object, which I love. Great narrative. I love it when you have a fantastical object of power mm -hmm. that's broken into multiple things yeah. that have to be found. It's like, you know, I, I kind of like the Dora the Explorer plot line of we find the three <laughs> things and then we win. There you go. And, and so in theory, I'm on board with that. But then it's like, okay, so what's this villain's perspective and how does it relate to our protagonist's perspective and how is this particular uh, conflict that's driving the movie the character's conflict that's kind of one of the things that helps me stay invested because it seems to me that this movie is pretty disjointed because it has a lot of different ideas for what to do with each of its characters and it never really follows through with any with, uh, yeah I can pretty safely say it never follows through uh, I would say the one arc here that kind of works is uh, with, what's it, is it Kraus? Yes. Yes, For, Kraus. With Kraus, he has this thing where he starts off very, very uptight. Like, there's a procedure. We have to follow rules. We have to, you know, he wants things done the right way. And he doesn't want to just have aggression be the driving force of their whole investigation. And at the end, he's like, you know sometimes things are a little bit more important than the rules. Mm. We can go ahead and just go have, you know, go do the thing that should be done right now and tackle this immediately uh, without caring so much about proper procedure if it's for something really important. And you can argue that that's a good arc. You can argue that that's a bad arc. But at least he has one. For Hellboy, uh, the director said that the, his idea for... He had several ideas, first of all. Like, from what I can tell... The, once they got the green light for Hellboy 2, Del Toro had so many different pitches and started writing so many different scripts that were all different storylines. Like, he took this in a bunch of different directions. Uh, it looked like it was maybe going to be focused on the elements a bit more, the four elements. And then he scrapped that and was like, no, a golden army. And it feels like you're getting little bits and pieces of all these different scripts mm -hmm. in this movie and none of them quite fit together. But for Hellboy, he says, the character's dilemma was... He has always fought on the side of humans, but this pushes his buttons to make him reconsider. Right? Like, that's kind of the idea is Hellboy is it just kind of takes it for granted that he fights for human beings and for the betterment of human civilization. And now he's kind of presented with this guy who's like, you know, there was this other civilization. There is more to this fantasy world here. The people of Earth don't actually like you. The humans don't care for you at all. So maybe you should consider being a bad guy instead. And I think if the movie 
remembered that that's what the movie was about and built everything that the characters say and do around that, right? If the movie was actually written accordingly, then there's potential for a good film here. Like, there's a good story here, or possibly many different good stories, that are all gestured to. You get little glimpses of the good storyline that could be there, but I spend the whole movie going, oh, is this the story the movie's about? Oh, wait, no, and this, okay, new scene, new characters, oh, I see. Now the movie thinks this is what it's about, and now the movie thinks this is what it's about. Good Lord! Like, it's it's frustrating for me because I've recently been watching a lot of the uh, Marvel movies. I've been going through the MCU again, and looking at the way that uh, James Gunn handled Guardians of the Galaxy, which is a similar thing where it's like, here are all these crazy creatures and costumes and makeup that you never thought that you would see. Like a whole world being mm-hmm. built that you never thought you'd see in a major Hollywood blockbuster movie. Uh, and yet, with everything that he's using, everything he pulls from the comics that he pulls from the Marvel uh, library is something specific. It's not just, this should be in it because it would be neat to see this thing in this movie because it's weird and it's cool. It's, I'm just going to pull the things that directly relate to the storylines for these characters. And every single major character in that movie has specific goals, a backstory, a clear arc. You understand how every scene they're in affects what they're going through and you understand what it's like to be that character in that moment. You can put yourselves in that character's uh, shoes and everything fits together for just constant payoffs. Like, when you're supposed to laugh, you know you're supposed to laugh, and you laugh. When you're supposed to cry, you know you're supposed to cry, and you cry. Like, everything lands, because there's such a clear sense of what each character's story is. In this movie, nothing was really landing for me, because it's like, what even is Hellboy's deal in in this? He literally just doesn't want to do the dishes. That's his only arc, well, and it's not even resolved. I'm, I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna tell you that I'm, I'm gonna defend it and say that I think part of the issue for you is that you just didn't pick up on the fact that he didn't know he was gonna be a daddy. Okay, but that's not. That's his story arc, JD. Why can't you see that? That's the that doesn't even pay off. Like that was such a frustrating. That was one of the worst the parts of the movie. Yeah. Like, of course, I caught on to that he didn't know he was going to be a daddy. Of course, that's a running thing, <laughs> but it's not handled well. It doesn't affect Hellboy because he doesn't know about it. I love getting you riled up. Oh my gosh! Like that. Uh, we'll talk okay, about the yeah, ending we'll, later. We'll, we'll the get ending to is dumb. So, as far as Prince Nuada, I feel that there was a bit of Tom Cruise in that performance. The intensity of that character. You know, that, okay. that very serious, single-minded, yeah, we're going to do it. I've got to get it. I'm going to, mm, it's mine. I felt like there was, really? I was re-watching it today, and it was like, there. there's a bit of Tom Cruise in there. I can see. I didn't pick up on that. Um, I, th- for me, I, my read of Nuwata is very different, because... When, he, when he's first introduced, you just know this is kind of a creepy-looking guy who's really uh, a strong, powerful fighter, who's really good with knives. He likes to cut things. Spears. And then he goes to the auction and... With Wink. With Wink. You gotta love Wink. Uh, uh, Respect yeah. for Wink. We say in a legend. You gotta love Wink. And he gets into his spiel about just humans, about how he's just really annoyed with how humans don't appreciate the past, they don't appreciate nature. He gets on his rant about how, you know, they paved paradise and put up a parking lot, shoe, bop, 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 bop. <laughs> and, uh, 
a little something for our Canadian friends. Uh, <laughs> and I read him as a hippie. You know, like to me, a, he's a very a very murderous hippie. I'll grant a you very that. murderous hippie. Yeah. But like when he goes down to his father, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. He goes down to see his father and the scene really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because he's like, Dad, we've got the chance now. I'm going to go finally kill the humans. And that's like, well, why? He's like, why do we need to do that? Because they're killing us. They're at war. I have some Joni Mitchell songs I'd like to play for you. There are spots on my apples. They don't care about nature or the past. They're just, it's all machines, man. It's all machines and violence. That's what humans are. And it's like, you literally want to have a machine army. Like, what's, what are you talking about, kid? Well, see, if you look at a lot of people who are like that, that very black and white, single-minded, yeah. they're, 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 reasons are often conflicting you know though on the one hand they want to do this but this other hand it conflicts with what they want to do but to them it makes perfect sense so he doesn't he doesn't seem like he's wrestling with any conflict there or any contradiction which again is sort of my my problem here i can't figure out what most of the characters are wrestling with that doesn't just change from scene to scene but i think that uh for him He's just in this weird spot where he's trying to save a civilization that's clearly already gone. And that's why his father's like, I actually don't mind that we're living down here underground because like there are three of us and I'm old, I'm going to die. And with the way you twins are connected, when one of you dies, the other one's going to (laughs) die. So uh, we're done here. Like we don't need to take over the earth and reclaim the earth from the humans. There aren't any of us left. We can't repopulate. Although Although I will say there could have been with Princess Nuala and Abe Sapien. There could have been some very right. interesting babies with that romance There could have been there. very interesting babies. You know, I would love to see those babies. But obviously that wasn't going to happen because they set up very early on uh, that when one of them gets hurt, the other one gets the same... Again, another Dark Crystal thing, right? Yeah. With the Skeksis the and duality. the Mystics. But here it's, it's, it's because they're twins. And they don't really play up the... Uh, duality much like i don't get the sense that their personalities are necessarily opposites like with one of them i I, actually you know what they are opposites. i was gonna say they are because i would say prince nuada has a personality while princess nuala does not have a personality oh i'm gonna have she has nothing that is a nothing character I'm gonna she have has no character traits I i will tell my my cousin you feel that way about her performance you're related? Yeah. She's my cousin. Okay, you needed to be upfront about this before. <laughs> no, I'm I kidding. I don't know her. I don't know her. I just love Thank seeing you. God, turn good red. lord. Man, stop screwing with me like that. But it's so much fun. Okay. Um, see, I then see them on the, di- the like different that. ends of the spectrum in a you know, he's violent, she's peace. He wants to burn everything to the ground, she wants to try and build everything up. That's how I see the two of them, their duality. Okay, I, I mean, you'll have to point me to where the movie shows that, you know? We don't really see her character defined as too much other than, you know, someone who's trying not to get, the, to, who's trying to, to stop her brother, basically. I guess you have the scene where she's into the poetry and stuff. Yeah. But and that's that hardly she, a personality. She, she does I, talk I, about the the importance of people, which I also feel is very narcissistic on our part, um, how important we are and how it's important not to destroy them. 
Okay, so her personality is she's anti-genocide. Yes. Which makes her unique. In this world, yes. If you look at everyone okay. else, almost everyone else in the movie, I, there's there's a lot of a lot of violence is their first go to. Yeah. Like I, I don't have any sense for who she is as a person other than someone who just says no genocide, more poetry, thank well, you. Well she's not a I person, think that a better why. I think a better performance would have would have helped a lot. Or just a, a, again, just better writing. Just a better sense for what to do with this character and what the character is going through. Uh, we skipped over some stuff here at the beginning because I really uh, like. When I love the tooth fairies. We even before that we skipped over stuff. What did we skip over? Okay, so the movie has the opening that's yep. set at Christmas. Yep, we have that. We established I like that. And this scene is interesting because when you see young Hellboy, I'm, I'm kind of expecting it to set up a little bit more than just the plot stuff about all the high fantasy things. I'm expecting it to set up things about his character that are going to come in later. But we, what we know about him is that this kid believes that puppets are real. He's very adamant about that. that it's, mm. it's, no, Howdy Doody is real. But he questions how Santa Claus is going to get down the chimney. So I don't know why he's got so much faith in one thing, but Santa Claus is the hard part for him to believe. I think that means that what he is is basically Big Bird in Christmas Eve on Sesame Street. Uh, Believes puppets are real. Always working back to Jim Henson. (laughs) It always comes back to Jim Henson. But it's true that that's a a scene where I'm kind of like, what is this setting up about what he's going to go through later? Because it could have just been a John Hurt voiceover without all the Christmassy prologue around it. Like, I'm expecting there's going to be payoffs where something about Howdy Doody comes back later. And literally, it's just that uh, later when that story comes up, when they're talking about, oh, yeah, the Golden Army, Hellboy goes, Howdy Doody. And it's like, does that mean he only watched Howdy Doody on that one night when he heard this one particular story? He seemed like a fan of Howdy Doody to me. Like, that's a weird thing for him to associate with that. Well, I also think you have to look at the context of when this was made. You know, 2008, we were, we were, there was a lot of tentpole movies coming out. Mm-hmm. And some of them didn't necessarily have what you would consider a consistent theme of plot, if that makes okay. sense. So I think some of what okay. you're seeing is that, you know, some of the tentpole movies around that time were kind of the same way. I don't know, because this is around the same, like, this is kind of following. Uh, it's a following act for the Dark Knight. It's around the same time as Iron Man, and it's while the X Men series is still running because the X Men series has been running pretty consistently for twenty mm. years. Uh, and I think that this movie weirdly positions itself in a strange way in relationship to the X Men because we all kind of know the X Men thing, where it's just you know everyone wondering. So what do we do now about the mutants? How do we handle the existence of mutants? And all the mutants are like, oh. Should I live? Am I bad? That's what Am I mean. I is there's a lot of Would that society that accept time, me? Time frame. And yeah. This movie just kind of feels like it can kind of stumble into that territory, look around, and then walk out without really dealing with it. And I think that what I was wondering is if this movie dares to walk into X-Men territory and do this storyline that we all associate with one franchise that was big at the time, then it's like you have to figure out what your take is on it. And I don't think this movie has a take. Again, there's a version of this movie I can imagine where in your opening, around the opening credits, you start with uh, with something that happens as like your big inciting incident within the first 10 minutes that unveils Hellboy to the world. 
you just get that out of the way right off the bat. So it's like, this is the movie about Hellboy being, you know, a famous celebrity, sort of like the Fantastic Four were just kind of celebrities who everybody knew about and were sort of celebrated by their city. You start off with that and then gradually you see him go, oh, wait, these humans suck. They don't actually like me. If I do anything wrong, everyone criticizes me and goes back to insulting me, fearing me, looking at me as a demon. And then you have a villain whose main point really needs to be, hey, you're not like these humans. You've been fighting for these humans, but actually, why don't you come back with us demons and trolls? Because we're more like you. And then you can have the whole dynamic where it's like, well, if I, you know, Liz was trying to make me have a normal human life. She's trying to humanize me and make me do the laundry and the dishes and raise a family. But here I can just be me. I can, you know, revert to my nature and just be a demon among other demons. And we can do cool demon things without worrying about the humans. And then he, he finds later, oh, I actually don't like this. Humans are good. Actually, I need to fight for humans and fight for good things then he discovers a way to be himself without being the worst, worst version of himself. That's a plot line that actually makes sense to me, but this puts plot points uh, all over the place, and it has to really screw with the character of Prince Nuwata in strange ways to give him lines about essentially trying to voice the same thing that don't really make sense for his character. And also, we never actually see what it is that Hellboy wants. Like, we know that Hellboy's annoyed by a lot of the things that happened around him, but at the beginning, all that he wants is to be recognized by the public. He wants to finally be free and be in the public eye until he just kind of doesn't want that anymore and the movie drops it. Well, I think, I think I'm just looking over Guillermo del Toro's uh, director uh, credits here, and if you look, it was... Mimic was 1987, and that was not a great experience as far as I understand for him with the studio. The studio didn't like it. There was some conflict there. And then he did Blade 2, which was a hit. Yeah, right. And so then they were probably like, oh, okay. I'm just trying to picture the from the studio head's mm-hmm. point of view. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, so he can direct it so they gave him uh hellboy and again that was a hit mm-hmm. and so i think yeah. he he felt he had kind of again this is just supposition on my part he had clout sure and he went i want to do one of mine and they're like we want you to do another one i want to do one of mine great what is it pan's labyrinth and then like well then you have to do hellboy too my guess is in that interaction they would have had more uh, because of how artsy and I don't mean that disparagingly, how artsy Pan's Labyrinth was. And it was successful to a great degree. My guess is the studio is like, okay, great. We don't want that, but we want that success. And they put their their mitts into it. Again, just supposition on my part. And that could the, be well, some what, of where where what you're having an issue with. But what this movie is famous for is being del toro's movie in which he was literally allowed to do whatever he wanted well and that okay well then that's that one that shoots my theory out of the water which i'm completely okay with and two that's sometimes when you put restrictions on directors you know sometimes you having them like i know for me if i was like here's a blank check do what you want it would be overwhelming i'd be like i uh what do i do great i'll do this this and this i think that this really should be understood as del toro's batman returns 
Yeah, I like would say that's about fair. The yeah, that's a Batman fair stuff yeah. where it's like the studio's very involved in forcing Batman 89 to be what the studio wants it to be because they're trying to make it a hit while still keep a lot of the Tim Burton style to it. Yeah. Uh, and then after Batman was the biggest hit ever, and I think he maybe had another one after Batman that was a huge hit, like be- before Returns, maybe another one of his movies came out. Um, I'm not sure. What was it? Wouldn't it have you, been you keep, t- you it have keep been talking. Scissors? I'll look up. Sure. But then he gets Batman Returns and they're like, OK, we trust you now. The first Batman was such a big hit. It's clearly because of your directing. You can go hog wild. And so for Batman Returns, you get the craziest script with crazy scenes, crazy characters. I mean, it's just an unbelievable movie and one of my absolute favorites. And with this, I think it's a very similar situation where it was like, you know what? You clearly knew what to do with the first one, even though we had to be involved in that. And when you're allowed to do whatever you want to do, like on Pan's Labyrinth, you make a masterpiece. So I guess we'll just let you do whatever you want to do. And I think he's trying to juggle a lot of things. I think he has a lot of balls in the air in this movie. And I think he's juggling too many and isn't able to catch all of them. So here's for Tim Burton, just to give you a chronology. Um, It was Pee-wee's big... First of all, it was Frank and Weenie. Pee-wee's Big Adventure in 85. Mm -hmm. Beetlejuice in 88. Which basically is what secures Batman. Batman in 89. Because Beetlejuice was so huge. Right. Edward Scissorhand after that. Okay, that's the one. And then Batman Returns, Ed's Woods, Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow, Planet of the Apes. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I think that with uh, Scissor Hands, that was kind of a surprise hit. Where it's like that, that's oh, such yeah. a weird, uh, such a weird Tim Burton thing that is so clearly his thing. Just well, I, Tim I, Burton I, doing Tim Burton stuff, and yet everybody came out to see it because it's like you know Johnny Depp's character in this is really cool. Well, I remember and when that it was came enough. Out, I was like nine or something when it came out, and I can remember hearing people going, "Wait a second, this is the same guy that did this? Oh, it's probably not going to be any good." Because it's so mm. weird. And then it, people were so totally shocked with how popular that movie became. Like, I can, yeah. I remember where I was when I watched that movie. It's one of those movies for me hmm. uh, where it just... Are, is, are you a Tim Burton fan? Depends on the movie. Right. Same I'm, here. I'm, I'm, I'm a diehard Spielberg fan up to a right. certain point only because they just resonate with me. It's not, you know, sure. it's not that Lincoln's a horrible movie, <laughs> Spielberg, but... Um, I'm not a diehard Tim Burton fan. I would say his early work is what I really, really love. Um, yeah. And that's very easy to say. It's very difficult to and say. That's the normal opinion. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Again, I, I recently watched Sweeney Todd, and it's like, who would love that movie? I know people love the Broadway, the, like the stage musical, but it's like, well, he gets to a certain point where it's like, yeah, he's, he seems like he's just kind of running on autopilot for this stuff, and it doesn't look as good. I like a practical Burton that has to actually build cool sets. When some and of it is, that's a musical. Very, uh, I think that there are very good ways to adapt a musical that makes sense, and there are bad ways to adapt a musical that don't make sense, and yes. he chose the lazy bad ways, and they should have put someone who knows how to adapt musicals in charge of adapting the musical. But for Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, he doesn't do a Tim Burton thing. He's like, no, let's do everything practical. Yeah. Like, as much as we possibly can, let's build stuff, which is where you get all the stuff in the marketplace. Right. Which, which is, is, I think, stunning. what people... Like it is really shocking. It's 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 amazingly shocking to go. There is, if any, CGI there. Right. There's very little. Like mm-hmm. the, the the I'm trying to think what like there's. Um, I keep going back to the tumor. Yeah. In the troll market, I was like, that is so brilliant to make that a tumor. 
And I think that that's kind of where they're sort of aligned in the sand there, where I'm like, okay, I see the sense of humor that you're doing. It's not my sense of humor. I get why it is other people's. But now you kind of see that so much of the problem with this movie is it's really about tone and aesthetics. And if you're into that particular sense of humor, those aesthetics and that tone, then you're on board for the movie, even if the story doesn't quite hold together. Whereas for me, it's like you you take a very big risk when you put story on the back burner and push tone and aesthetics because that's either going to resonate with people or it's not. You know, with a story, you make a story that works, you know, like your Disney uh, I want song story. That's going to resonate with most people. A solid story is going to work. You take something like um, uh, Parasite and the story is so universal, such like a a rock solid script that feels like the kind of thing that Michael Eisner would have seen and gone, we're making an American version of that right now because the screenplay just works and it's universal. Everyone understands the story. They understand the dynamic. It functions as a script, so it will function as a movie. This is very much a film that's like, who cares about whether or not it functions as a script? You'll be into the tone that we've got here and the style, or you won't be. And it's like, this is very puppety, but once you do a movie that's got a lot of the cool puppety things I like, you've, yes, you instantly earn a lot of respect from me. But now you've entered the pantheon of great puppet movies. Right, exactly. Jim Henson. And now I ha- I'm kind of comparing this to your Labyrinth, your Dark Crystal, uh, your Muppet stuff. What are the other good puppet movies? Never Ending Story. Um, uh, wow, it's really hard to think of other I good know, puppet movies. I know, isn't it? But then other, you know, other fantastical stuff with practical effects, like your Legend, uh, <laughs> I guess Lady Hawk, I don't know. <laughs> uh, like, it, like this enters Bond a different man. territory. Where and uh, oh, uh, Masters of the Universe. Yes, that's true. Um, yeah. I mean, not a lot of puppets there, but still, you know, practical stuff. Like once you put this in, and it's very much interested in Harry Potter. Yep. Like when you get to that marketplace, it feels very Harry Potter. It feels yep. very Star Wars for sure. Like the Cantina. I will. I will uh, and say. So once, I go ahead. I'll let you finish. It's just once you put yourself in that arena. Once you say that this movie is a little bit in conversation with Terry Gilliam, a little bit with George Lucas. Like once it's a part of that conversation, then the question is, okay, the potential is through the roof now. The sky's the freaking limit. Once you see Strauss, you know that anything is possible in this movie. Like, you, anything is possible, and he's interested in uh, playing with the big guys. He's playing with Lucas now. Yep. Now what are you contributing to the conversation? What are you going to do with it that's really new and interesting and fresh and exciting Uh, And how is it going to work in service of a great new story? And that's where I feel the movie drops the ball. Well, I was was totally shocked at who did the voice for Krauss. It is a little bit surprising at first, but then... And I don't don't want to say who it is, because if no one's seen it, I don't want to take it out of them. But I was like, this... I was like, I can kind of hear who it is, but I... I didn't initially, and I had to look it up, and I was like, oh my gosh, that guy's voice is just stunning. Uh, Yeah, you know, it actually, it is, I I will say, you're never really ready for Gilbert Gottfried to do one of his other voices. Like, sorry, I just gave it away. But yeah, uh, Gilbert Gottfried, when he decides that he doesn't want to sound that way, he can actually sound normal. Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) So it's not Gilbert Gottfried. No, it's not. Uh, but what I Godfrey. loved is but the boy, troll. I wish the uh, well, you you love the trolls. The troll with um, 
the cat la- the cat lady. See, and I wasn't into that. Really? What, no, what, what was I, it that threw you off about her? I mean, it's not that I was not into that. It's just again, it, it it all felt a little bit too familiar. It felt like this was kind of fantasy on autopilot. Interesting. It was. It, these felt like leftovers from Star Wars and Harry Potter. And there, I mean, Ouch. I guess I, I don't like I don't like characters that like to eat animals, um, which is weird because it's like I'm not a vegetarian, so <laughs> I mean, I don't know why I'm riding that high horse but it is like why does she have the alf thing where she wants to eat cats well the thing about that that i didn't get was the whole canary thing i don't i didn't understand why they are afraid of canaries and i think again that's kind of where my problem is where it's like they picked something weird and interesting just because it's weird and interesting not because they have a device there it sounds like they might be onto something there yeah they do the when they have the goggles so that you can see past the disguises and all that. Then it's like, okay, they've introduced an interesting device. Now, how are they going to subvert it? And they don't. Like, once they've made, like, in my head, when you make a movie that has rules, whenever you explain these are the rules of the universe, it's like, okay, now you have a cool toy. I want to know how that toy works. You know what, JD? You're changing my mind on this movie. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. But, I mean, I enjoy it, but I'm seeing everything you're pointing out now. Um, and and it's uh, the, like the one really moment good, I will say the one moment study. that oh, was ahead. really cute was when mm-hmm. Hellboy and Abe got drunk. Uh, that is the best scene in the movie. That 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 was I was like to see two mythical kind of creatures get mm-hmm. plastered, you know, s faced, yeah. and have them talk like that is just hilarious. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like, I I love that scene because there's an idea there, and this is one of the few moments where the idea lands, and the movie actually knows what to do with it, and how to hold, you know, completely sell it. With most of the movie, it's gesturing towards a lot of ideas that it doesn't really finish. It's a lot of unfinished thoughts. But that's the one moment where del toro decidedly knows what the tone is because that's the kind of music he's into he's into like the 70s love songs right he's a huge paul williams fan and so when he has a song like that he understands how to build the story around getting to that point and when you're in that moment he knows how to make it land and actually have emotional weight so yeah i'm totally into it i'm swaying i'm waving my arms (laughs) i'm singing on can smile like yeah, I love that scene, and I love that they use it again for the credits. Very smart move. Yeah, but it is kind of striking because at that moment I'm like, oh, a tone. I understand what the feeling is here. That's refreshing. It kind of highlighted the fact that for most of the movie before, I wasn't really feeling much. I didn't really notice the music. I didn't really notice the characters' emotions. I didn't notice many uh, jokes except for I'm not a baby. I'm a tumor. Yep. Which again, it's like not quite my sense of humor, but it's fine. It's not um, a tumor. What? It's not a tumor. Don't get the joke. I also not my sense of humor. Really? Is it, okay. Are you referencing a movie? Schwarzenegger. In what movie? Kindergarten Cop. You've never seen that? No. Oh. You're surprised I haven't seen Kindergarten Cop? Is that Sorry, is that like a very popular movie in Canada? It's, it's like a, on all the Canadian rankings very, of the most famous it's, popular movies. It's, it's, it's like, there. well, there's Back to the Future, Casablanca, Kindergarten Cop, you it's know. It's up there with uh, Get on the Chopper. It's not up there with Get on the Chopper. As far as quotes, yes. Everyone knows Get on the Chopper. It's not a tumor. 
Nobody's seen kid. Okay. Oh my God. Uh, maybe a lot of people have seen Kindergarten Cop. Maybe it's just me who hasn't seen Kindergarten Cop. Um, uh, let's let's back up a little because we we've been bouncing around a lot, and I want to make sure that we're hitting all the important things. And I don't know where are we. I forgot to set the timer for this week's episode. It's okay. We're we if uh, I've been kind of watching. If we wrap it up in the next twenty minutes, we'll be fine. I want thirty, and I can make thirty work. So okay. we're gonna make it work. All right. Um, what was interesting is when they're going into the marketplace, you see they have that conflict between Krauss and Hellboy, where Krauss is like, we have to follow the procedures. And Hellboy's like, no, here's my procedure. And he just punches the lady. Right. And Krauss is like, okay, then. So then a few minutes later, they do the same scene again. And I'm like, oh, there's going to be a twist here. This is going to backfire for Hellboy. And it doesn't. They just did the same thing twice. And that's where I'm like, okay. When you introduce rules, when you introduce an idea, when you introduce anything repeatable, it should have a function. It should operate in the story in a certain way. And what I'm reminded of is I, I feel like Tom Hanks' character in Big, when he's looking at these toys and going, so what's this supposed to do? Like, I know it looks cool. That's a really but good analogy. But what do analogy. I do with it? Yeah. With, with, uh, with other toys, I know you can take the head off and stick it on Barbies. Like, I know how to subvert that thing. But with this, I don't understand what is going to what nothing's being done with the toys. And that's where I that's where I think I uh, get stressed out by this movie. It's like cool that they're introducing big guns and introducing character flaws and character interests. But then it's like, where do you stick the head on a Barbie? That's the thing that you need for any of these toys to feel like they're paying off and not just here. And You've for a comic book mind. fan, You've... for a comic book Good. Uh, I'm sorry to ruin a movie for you, but for, no, and to be clear, there are a lot of people who are saying. into this who are very smart critics who could probably make an argument that would reduce mine to nothing. Uh, but what was I saying? Uh, oh, I'm totally lost now. So now can we just talk about uh, Jeffrey Tambor? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, he's here's my take on Jeffrey Jeffrey Tambor. It yes. was a one note character. Mm-hmm. It's it, you've seen Hellboy one. Yeah, but I don't remember it very well. Okay. So it's the same character from Hellboy 1. Mm-hmm. He doesn't go on an arc in this movie. And he has over-the-counter medication. Yeah, and he also has uh, nice cigars. Yes, illegal cigars in the U.S. Uh, maybe they're illegal. I don't know. Um, I, I don't... Was that explicit? Cuban cigars? Oh, they're... Yeah, he was making... Okay. A, he was making a comment of he was able to... He Smuggle It was difficult in, yeah. to get them, but... And I kind of, again, I know what they're trying to do with this. I love his performance of this character. This is a great example of a character that maybe didn't have a lot going on on the page. And the actor just knocked it out of the park. Right. He's just so great in this. Like, the, watching this movie, I think I actually wrote in my notes, do I love Muppets from Space? Because I'd never considered it before, but now I'm like, you know, this actor's so great, and now that I think about it, his performance in that is really good. I think I love Muppets from Space now, because I love watching Jeff- Jeffrey Tambor in this kind of role, where he's, you know, the put-upon government guy who's like, look, I don't like that this is my job. I don't like that I have to be stuck trying to get Hellboy to do stuff he doesn't want to do. I don't like being the party pooper. But uh, crap rolls downhill, and I'm downhill in Area 51, so I just got to do it and find a way to make this work. But but here's the thing. I would have loved to see more... De- and here, I'm taking your role your role in this. Go now. ahead. I would have loved to see some sort of development from the character. You know, it's like you, you, you see... 
you see him being very serious and afraid of Hellboy, which I was sort of like, I don't get because not afraid, but hmm. you know, it's like he's he's irritated by Hellboy, and it's like you did that in the last movie. Sure. And for me, I'm okay with it because I understand that he's just here to serve a function. And that's why you get a character actor uh, like Tambor, who can take a character that's just serving a, a plot function and just needs to be the guy who's mean or the guy who's annoyed and can actually add the little speech impediments and things that uh, and the little idiosyncrasies that make the character really pop and make him fun and lovable. Uh, but still, I would say that what he needs is you actually need to see some of the other people at this agency. I know. Yeah. Because for the whole movie, you get like a distant exterior shot from way back, and then they cut into Area 51, and he's like, man, this agency and all the people upstairs, you know, all the other people in this agency, all the people in charge. I know. They're I really annoying. They're really involved that. in this plot, aren't they? And then you never see them. You don't get the sense for what they're doing. Well, and that makes me wonder and if there was interference. Because when you look it at could, Pan's Lamp, if you look at Pan's Labyrinth and um, keep some of his other ones, it's, it's he doesn't have a problem with with putting that kind of stuff in. You know, it makes uh, um, Pacific Rim. I had a hard time with, and that's just a personal thing. It's not like following it. Um, that that's me. I know it, other people enjoyed it, but like Pan's Labyrinth and um, Crimson Peak, he had hmm. no issue. With any of this. So it makes me wonder if there was studio interference. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's possible. I can look into it, and to some extent you can never know. But either way, I kind of have to take the movie for what it is. For whatever the reason, whether it's Del Toro's fault or not, this is the movie that we have now. And it's a movie that doesn't totally gel because they set up at the end that Hellboy is really annoyed with uh, Tom Manning, which is Jeffrey Tambor's character. And you get why they're really annoyed with each other. You understand that tension. But then they kind of abandon that tension for a while and don't really deal with it anymore. And you feel like the problem is just that Hellboy is childish and won't get over his anger issues, which he, of course, in the end can never really that, that can never be his thing. It can never be. I've learned to overcome my anger issues. I'm not going to be violent and aggressive anymore because he's Hellboy. He has to be. So they can't pay off that arc, which is why I say they should have gone with the other one they were flirting with. And unfortunately, he stabbed. Right. And like, you know, like, and so it, it sort of knocks out any chance of, of a character arc, kind of, to some degree. Yeah, it, and, you know, with Liz, her whole thing is just, she she's, at first, she's like, I'm in this relationship with Hellboy that doesn't seem like it's going very well. We're very frustrated with each other. And then she's like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. Well, now that makes this difficult because... I mean, do I really want to commit to that? Our relationship isn't going very well. This is a big deal. But then the whole movie is just doing that thing you see in so many movies I and know. TV shows that I'm really tired of, of, I have something really important to tell you. But we had the whole car ride here and you didn't bring it up. No, it's only in this moment when there are far more important things going on when I have something important to tell you. Well, you'll have to tell me later. When it's a and whole it's idea, like, like she, she gets pregnant... How's that going to fix the relationship? Like, why is she thinking, oh, maybe if I stay, it'll make it better? It's not, I, again, she doesn't have much of a thought process here. Like, you can never quite put yourself in her shoes and understand her perspective until you, you get to the end, and now her position in the story has kind of changed, where be, before the idea was just that she was annoyed with Hellboy, you get to the end with the angel... And it's like, now how much do you really love Hellboy? Enough that even though now you know, because we've just introduced last minute, that he'll eventually destroy all the people. 
Right. He will eventually be apocalyptic. Are you still willing to save him because you love him that much? And she's like, yes, I've now decided that I love him. And it's like weird that they didn't really have any scenes together before this to set up. Well, and it's, it's that, weird, uh, too, because Selma Blair is such a great actress. She is so funny. She's so good. And it's like, I'm not sure what happened with this. Um, she she just isn't given a whole lot to do. And she's normally in... in for almost the whole movie, apart from the beginning and the end, you'll see her in different shots from yes. Hellboy. You don't see them spending time together. Like, there's no effort in repairing the relationship. Right. And if you're not invested in repairing the relationship, then maybe the relation the relationship plotline wasn't the one to go with for her. Well, I will say, just jumping back to the plant fight, that giant plant right. thing. Yeah. I watched it again today, that scene. Mm-hmm. And it's like the dragon in Dragon Slayer. Okay. That thing was supposed to be the villain. Oh. I actually saw in in Hellboy 2 mm-hmm. a very compassionate character. It's so huge. It's destroying things. But it's like right. the last of its kind. Right. So now you've introduced it and made me go, well, if it's the last of its kind, maybe he's angry for or it's angry for some reason. Right. You know, and this is an agency that deals with these kind of characters. Why do you have to destroy mm-hmm. it? And uh, that that's an interesting situation where the movie is for once actually trying to do the thing where it introduces something that you just take for granted as, oh, it's a monster. It's another killy monster. So he just has to kill the monster. And then it's like, no, no, no. There's a compassionate angle. And it's like, yeah. good. He's finally set up the rules and then subverted them to do something more interesting with it and to give Hellboy, you know, some internal conflict. But you're right that it's still not really handled that well because it does create a situation where uh, it kind of has to be killed or it will kill everyone else. But like, so it's like but, you can't quite go with the compassionate angle too much. But it's much. weird. Again, as soon as Nuada was like, you know, it's the last of its kind just like you and then the music and it's vo- the character's voice whatever the plant thing was um it was like you know that kind of thing and i'm like oh i actually want it to win like why would you do that and the part of the trouble that this movie is in inherently just because so many of these characters don't have a very expressive face with all the prosthetics and all that is you can't quite get a sense for all of the internal conflict that Hellboy is going through here. And you need him to be really torn and come out of that scene really thinking, am I doing the right right thing? If I'm saving humans instead of saving these other creatures that have been pretty much extinguished by humans, am I making the right call? Am I on the wrong side? Because the humans don't like me. They don't even appreciate it when I'm trying to save their baby. Which is weird. Which is very uh, weird. In, because well, when, I mean, again, when you think it about makes... it, like the, he's he's been seen over the past week, in, in obviously, mm-hmm. um, as you've commented, Jimmy Kimmel was mean. So it's like, yes, yeah. it is. Weird. It's like, what's like, the deal? You guys with that know Kimmel who this cameo? guy is. This is not some demon out of the bowels of hell. You've been aware of him, and this mother. Wait, we takes... have to talk about the Kimmel cameo because Kimmel's persona is not the persona here. Like it feels like they wanted John Stewart. Yeah. Someone who is a mean news commentator sometimes. Like, not that I don't like John Stewart, but someone who, uh, I mean, they do a similar thing in, uh, what is it? The Ark movie with Steve Carell. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Building Noah's Ark. You know that one. It's one of the Almighty movies. I guess Evan Almighty. It's Evan Almighty, yeah. Yeah, where, where 
John Stewart comes in and is just making fun of this guy. And here they get Jimmy Kimmel to be like, we don't know what the deal is with this girl, but she's a cute girl. And it's like, that's not that's not his persona. Yeah, I know. That's not Kimmel. What is this? Why is Kimmel a jerk? Now, jumping ahead, jumping ahead. And he's also was he with NBC at this time? Was he I with ABC? I honestly don't remember. Like, I don't think this movie was produced by the Disney company. It so wasn't. It's weird that it, yeah. so that it's, why Kim, I don't know. Maybe they're friends, who knows. But then jumping ahead, I will say, once they go to Ireland, that yeah. actor who did the Goblin, I thought was such a fun performance. He was pretty good. I was like, that, whoever's doing that is a fun, is a fun performance. And the fact that he had him on, on like a box to wheel himself. Yeah. I was cool. like, that's cool, cool, fun. Cool. That's really, really fun. There are a lot of things in this movie where I go, oh, that is so fun. That is cool, cool, cool. You see the big gun and it's like, cool, cool, cool. You see the army and it's like, cool, cool, cool. You see even the opening uh, the opening credits thing where the Hellboy 2 logo is made of all the gears yeah, turning. It's like, I thought cool. That was, I thought you I mean, would like that. We haven't even talked about that when John Hurt is telling the story, the animation there. is <gasps> It's all puppety stuff. I don't know how we glossed over this, but it's like, Cool! Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. I'm just so into it at that moment. Well, in 2008, I was like, who's is this like puppet? Is this like puppetry right. with CGI over it? Like what? How right. did they it do looks kind of like puppets. It looks kind of like stop motion. It looks kind of like CG. It's in this perfect in-between space that's kind of unsettling, but perfect. Yeah. And then eventually you get accustomed to the fact that this movie is going to introduce a lot of interesting things that won't really totally pay off. And I thought you would love the opening with all the gears and... I was so into that, yes. It was, it was like, oh, but this I, is I, awesome. I, I still want to give a lot of respect to this stuff in this movie that's like, cool, 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 cool. But then I also need the reactions to cool things to be sure. appropriate, right? Like, if it's a scary thing, the reaction should be scared. And I was just re-watching the scene at the beginning with the auction when uh, Prince Nuada and yes. uh, Wink, gotta mention Wink, we Wink. stand a legend, we love Wink. He's, this is he, a pro-Wink podcast. Is, there's something very sweet about Wink. You got yeah. He's you know. I like to think that he only acts badly because, you know, he had a rough childhood or something. He's working through some issues at home, but he's really a nice guy if you get to know him. Well, the thing is, I thought there would be some connection between Hellboy and Wink with the arms. No, it's just that a lot of characters in this universe have cool arms because cool arms are cool. Because <laughs> you see, again, a Wink is basically a toy. Now, like you pull his string and boing, his arm pops out. It's a cool toy, and that's the one thing where like they actually do a setup and payoff really well where it's like you understand the rules of this thing now he's going to punch the wrong thing and it's going to pull him into the gears and it's like i give you credit you pulled this one off had the whole movie been more stuff like that then i would have been on board but when i was i was rewatching the auction scene with the sound turned off yes on purpose because i was like something it feels like a lot of the sound was done in post which I guess is normal for movies, but it was also done in a way to try to correct that the visuals don't actually capture the tone of the scene. It feels like the audio is trying to do a lot of correction. And indeed, when Prince Nuwata shows up, the reactions are pretty slow. Like everyone's still sitting down. I know. Everyone's just a little bit disturbed, a little bit weirded out. Like, oh, who is this guy? Like they, they're, they're reacting less like a terrifying monster has walked into the room and more like a poor person has walked in and they're like, oh, what's he doing here? <laughs> Which, this let's is an face auction it, for rich people. Let's face it, is kind of what the 1% does. And I mean, hey, he is a hippie. He is anti-establishment, you know? He wants to leave the spots on his apples and, and unpave the parking lot. 
So yeah, they would. I'm sure he's against the one percent. I'm sure he wants to protest them. But with that still, with, with that auction, I just kind of kept waiting, and it takes a long time in that scene for the people for just the people there to slowly gradually actually look like they're afraid and look like they're panicking and for the most part they just look kind of annoyed and then eventually the most that they do is they rise to their feet Mm -hmm. you never see them run you never see anyone try to pull a fire alarm you don't see anyone trying to call the police it's just everyone kind of looks around kind of alarmed and then eventually stands up when they're really afraid and then later in the movie I noticed, again, Del Toro doesn't understand how to do natural human reactions to things, because first of all, just generally, not a lot of close-up reaction shots in this movie. You don't get a lot of moments where you see on a character's face how they feel about what's going on, but when you do, it's often kind of late. So at the climax with the Golden Army, when the Golden Army is activated, you would think as soon as you start to see the first few start to come to life, you would get the reaction shot from Hellboy where he's like, oh no. Yeah. You're waiting for the reaction shot that's like, oh boy. And instead, they do the whole thing with the whole army. They like take a good 30 seconds to a minute to show everything that the army's doing, then cut back to our main characters who are like a little bit annoyed by it. Yep. But there's no weight, there's no weight placed on it from the characters in that moment. You need to see moments when the main characters are actually struck by what's going on around them. You need to see them wide-eyed with real expressions on there's, their faces. There's failure Reacting in some to stuff way. in the moment and early because it's, it's important for framing, for framing the stuff that we see one way or the other as intense or as scary or as sad or as big. And none of these emotions quite land because I don't really feel that the characters are going through it, except a little bit Abe in his romance with the princess, which yes. is one of the few things in this movie that kind of works. And again, sets off or sets up the can't smile without you scene. That's like the one moment where it's like Lovely. The, the emotion really lands. Well, and the th- the thing is too. What would have been interesting is for um, the princess, Princess uh, Noala, to give some indication that she is willing to end things the way she did. Right. Do you know what I mean? There was no sense throughout that she is willing to do absolutely whatever it takes to end things. She should be torn by that conflict, which should yeah. be made very explicit. And one of the difficult things that this movie is handling with its story is if you just look at the storyline on paper, it's the prince needs to collect these things. Very early on in the movie, he has the first two parts of the crown. Like act one, that's already dealt with. He just needs to get this from the princess. They establish that the princess has a telepathic link to the prince. So whatever the, when the princess knows something, the prince knows it. Yes. Meaning... That the next step in the story is wherever she goes and with the thing, he just goes and he takes it from her. Yeah. And then the next step in the story is he has the crown, so now he just goes and he activates the army. But then at any point along the way, the princess has the power to end this. And for yeah. reasons unexplained, doesn't. It, it, it was and weird. And we all know from the moment that we see the cuts on their faces that she is in a position to end things. Yeah. That she actually holds that card. And it's like, with how early you set that up, and it never goes away, it's never off the table, it's a constant presence in all of her scenes that she's connected to him. That has to be what the character's about. The character has to be torn by that dilemma. And instead, so much is just kind of waiting. Like, the movie's waiting as long as possible to clarify really important information. That would have been a brilliant reason why her and Abe couldn't get together. 
She indicates I'm not destined to be with someone or I'm not able to, you know, I I know that I can't do it. I'm only I'm only going to get hurt or something that would indicate something's not making sense. There's definitely a version of this in which she is like, okay, I know what I have to do. I've decided that I am going to kill myself in order to stop him from activating the army. And then she meets Abe and falls head over heels in love with Abe. And it's like, I'm not sure I'm actually willing to sacrifice myself for that. I'm not sure I'm willing to end my life, which would then tie in with the sacrifice stuff that the movie's trying to do at the end, where she's like, I don't care if the whole world burns. I need Hellboy back to life. Yeah. Right. With Liz has that situation where she makes that sacrificial decision. That's like, even if everyone else dies, the love of my life needs to stay alive. There we're rooting for it. They immediately follow it with Abe who hands over the last piece of the crown, making the essentially the same decision, but now it's framed as a negative. Right. Okay, so they're doing this theme that you see done uh, very well in something like Infinity War, Avengers Infinity War, where it's all about sacrifice and who are we willing to sacrifice for the good of everyone else. This would be really great if the movie was about that, but it kind of decided to be about that only in the yeah. third act. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that! All right, so... Oh, I had a really good point here. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. And it comes back to the princess. She knows that whatever she knows, he knows, right? Whatever she knows, the prince knows. Right. Because of their telepathic link. Two things. One, how did she get brought into a top-secret government agency without them figuring this out first? They just, they, they let a tracking device, a walking, living, breathing tracking device into not just any government building, but Area 51, the most protected secret government building in the world. Uh, they gave the location away. It's like, who who's running this place? How did this not come up? Why did she not tell this to these new characters that she supposedly cares about? Why is this information coming in so late? I don't understand. Ladies and gentlemen, and this is why I like getting JD upset and flustered, because he's so adorable. Aw, shucks. (laughs) Alternatively, with the princess, there's a version of this story, I can imagine, in which, again, they use the fact that she's a walking tracking device effectively, and she's like, okay, crap, I have the last piece of the crown that he needs. That means that wherever I go, if I still have it, or if I even know where it is... That's a danger. That's a danger to ending everyone. So I have to find people I can trust, give it to them, and then get as far away as possible and not actually know where it is or where it went. And like, like there's a version of the story where that becomes the device of trying to protect her and also just basically lose the last piece of the crown so that he'll never be able to find it. And... I'm not saying, I, I don't want to be the guy who's just frustrated that the movie that I'm watching isn't the movie I can imagine in my head. But again, it's like, with all the cards that he has on the table, if he wants to actually use them for something interesting, he could have. But he didn't. He was much more proud that he just got this crazy stuff into a movie, which I do think is a point of pride. I do think that for this time, when we didn't know if we would ever see puppets and practical effects in a movie again, there is something to be said for the fact that he actually pulled it off. Like, he was able to do this. And I think that's why this should get a lot of points. But then, still, I think I just needed a little bit more from it. And I recognize that when I'm talking about this, 
I sound a little bit like, you know, the cinnamons, uh, uh, cinnamon sins, like the cinema sins type who's much, who's more so here to just ding a movie on anything, any, you know, nitpick I can find rather than just approach it with good faith criticism. I don't want to be a bad faith criticism guy. I'm just, I, there's a, again, there's a version of this movie in which I don't care about this stuff. Well, right? I, like as it exists right now, I'm really annoyed that Prince Nuwada, who seems to have a lot of reverence for this weird giant plant creature, saying it's the last of its kind, just as who is, he supposedly really cares about it, and then he throws it at Hellboy, who just um, killed everybody and keeps killing people. Like, what if you care about it? Why did you just throw it in such danger, where you know it's almost certainly going to get shot and killed by Hellboy? Well, how do you feel about them never taking the? the golden army outside of that cavern area drives into me into the real world it, it it didn't have to go anywhere else outside of that space it didn't have to be the golden army takes over the planet but it is crazy that they set up this huge threat that's a whole army and hellboy gets to take on like five of them like it, like the climax is so contained it never feels huge it feels like we're only seeing one room of the climax and I'd like to see a version of it where it opens up and they're in the middle of the, you know, the, a vast space, wherever it is, even if it's still underground, just like actually make it Hellboy versus a whole army yeah. and not like the elf prince and seven machines. <laughs> like you need to feel the weight of him fighting a whole army and actually see them knocking out dozens, no hundreds of these machines to make it really satisfying. But I know I'm being kind of nitpicky here. But there is, it's truly only because I'm trying to figure out in posts, having seen it, having wanted to like it, having started out liking it, why is it that it didn't land for me? And there's a version of this in which there's a lot of the same, um, I don't know, plot mistakes, you could say, a lot of the same goofs, errors, uh, uh, stuff that needs script doctoring that I just don't care about. Right? There's a way to do this where it's so fun that I don't mind some of the stuff I'm being nitpicky about. But this isn't that. Okay, so so we have gone through the movie, JD. Yes. You have changed my opinion. Okay. So, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being mm -hmm. absolutely enjoyed, one of my favorite movies, and, well, 0 being, you know, I hate it. Yeah. Why don't we use a 1 to 5? 1 to 5? Or, yeah, why don't we use that for this, or 0 to 5, however you want to do it. It's weird that we don't do that. Okay. Because mo usually movie ratings are done that way. Like, did you have a reason for choosing 10? Uh, I just have a lot of people in my family that deal in the medical field, and they do on the scale of 1 to 10. Oh, right. Yeah, so, on the scale of 1 to 10, how are you feeling today? Yeah, yeah so sure. that's where I go from. But yeah. Uh, so we can do 1 to 5. For the sake of my comfort and ease, let's, let's do 0 to 5 or 1 zero to 5. 0 to 5. Yeah. So um, 0 to 5. 5 being absolutely enjoyed the movie. Would watch it again every day. Um, gosh, probably about a two. Okay. I think I'd give it about a two because again, there is a lot that I respect about it. There's a lot that I appreciate about it. Like, I can't say that it doesn't have a lot of good elements in it. It does. I just don't think they fit together quite right. And I actually had a similar experience watching the first uh, Adams Family movie recently, uh, where you could tell that the script process was messy Similar to this, where it seems like they had a lot of different scripts and they could never quite sort out just the right one. Uh, there are a lot of movies like that where it's like all the right pieces are here, but the game isn't being played very well. You know, all the all the you know a lot of neat looking toys are here, but they're not doing much. 
Uh, and so I want to give it credit for all that it has, for uh, its love of puppetry, and just its love for the characters, and its audacity, uh, and its overall coolness. I think it's kind of neat. And, you know, that, that goes a long way. But uh, it's a deeply frustrating movie. I, like, really, I, I just, I kind of come away from that ending like, wait, the, the end of all their arcs is that they turn in their badges and leave this organization? That... A, is that even an option? B, does that actually really resolve anything for them? C, is that supposed to be a satisfying payoff for us? Does it show maturity in any of them? Does it show what is in the future for them? How does this resolve all that Abe has just been through? Do we get to see how he's dealing with after? And then revealing that it's one baby, or that it's two babies instead of one, does that... How does that actually affect Hellboy's relationship to the situation? How's he supposed to feel about that? How, that's not any different. He's still going to be a father. It's the same situation. It's, ah, like, none of the things that should work, work. Nothing lands for me. And I'm just left like, well, that was almost a movie. That was almost a movie. How do you feel about it? All right. So I have two versions of my rating. Yeah. Going into this, before I heard your, your version of it, I would have given it a four. Mm-hmm. Overall, okay, four. and that's totally fair. I totally understand why a lot of people love it. And now listening to you, I would give it a two as well. Wow. <laughs> okay, I did a lot of damage. And now <laughs> listeners who love it are going to be really mad that you talked to me instead no, of mean, talking I to them. I enjoy it. I, I enjoyed. I, I'm going to enjoy it again. But hearing you have made yeah. some extremely valid points, and it's hard to argue against those. But though it is just kind of my take. Again, there are plenty of people who don't care about it because they're here for the aesthetics, and that's totally fine. Oh, aesthetics, um, I would but, give it five. Right. It's it's neat. It's neat. But then again, it's kind of taking that gamble where it's like, if you're into this vibe, if you're into this particular look, this particular feeling that comes from the score, the color palette, all of it, then you're here for this. It's not really my style. So I'm not here for it. But I get why people are, because it's impressive. I actually have similar feelings about Pan's Labyrinth. I get why people love it. Lots of brilliant stuff in that movie. For me, it does not gel. Uh, it just does not come together. And also, I think that movie is ugly. It's it's a frustrating thing where it's like some of the greatest cinematography I've ever seen. Brilliantly uh, choreographed shots, great framing, great camera angles, great blocking, uh, great effects. Ugly, 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 ugly. Um, but this this isn't that bad. This is a little bit better aesthetically, and yet I still am like, it's cool. Not enough to make a, not make my favorite movie, but I will say for the time. Like, if we're judging it in the context of we don't have these cool new Marvel movies to compare yeah, it to it that have figured out how ago. to do comic book stories, uh, nor do we have a lot of the cool practical puppety stuff in Star Wars to show that you can do practical effects and puppets and cool costume things again, right? I think for its time, it was a huge breath of fresh air. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I'd probably give it more like a three okay. for, for its time. Interesting. All right. Well, I, th I think this was a very engaging episode. I think, I mean... I, I'm I'm kind of glad you changed my position on this, JD. Yeah, I mean, watch it again and see what you think. Um, you, you, in the future, you might actually like it even more. Who knows? Um, but we'd really like to hear from our listeners. Yes, so good, please, bad, or indifferent. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, that goes for your thoughts on the movie and your thoughts on us as human <laughs> beings. Uh, <laughs> uh, so by all means, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at JD11PC. And I'm simple, Nicholas Lemon on Twitter. Not Nick, not at Nicholas yeah. Lemon on Twitter. <laughs> that I'm, should be it. That would be great. I'm on Twitter at Nicholas Lemon. 
all of my handles should specify <laughs> what they're on. It, I should have at JD Hansel on Twitter, at JD Hansel on Instagram, at JD Hansel, or I guess slash JD Hansel on Facebook. Yeah. Wow, that's good. <laughs> oh, I'm going to think about that. I might make some changes. Maybe you Same. won't be able to find me on Twitter at the place <laughs> I specified. Uh, we'll see. But... but Anyway, Nick, thank you for selecting this movie. Great choice. Really fascinating film with a lot of cool stuff. Uh, Glad I finally saw it. Yeah, I'm Um, glad. And I hope you had a good time. I hope I didn't totally ruin it. No, no, you didn't ruin it. You just changed my mind on it. That's all. Good. And maybe in the future, uh, you'll change my mind about a movie. You never know. I can be flexible. Speaking of which, speaking of which, you pick the next one, JD. I know. I'm not going to tell you yet because I'm still trying to figure it out. Oh, okay then. That's fine. That's but fine. Just jerk your responsibility. I'm excited. Is all. That's all. Yes, I know. We it's my responsibility. I have some ideas that are really. Uh, uh, well, I think my next pick is probably going to be a Christmas movie. Ooh. So I have some interesting ideas. I'd like to try to show you something you haven't seen before that may not be. Next week's movie might not be a good movie, but it's going to okay. be interesting. That's okay. And I have a lot to say about it. So I, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm glad to finally do a Christmas movie with you because I think you and I are both pretty big Chris, uh, Christmas oh, movie fans, right? Yeah. So for me, Halloween yeah. starts October 1st. Christmas starts December 1st. Okay, cool. I think I feel about the same way. So yep. this is going to be fun. Until next time, I'm Nicholas Lemon. And I'm J.D. Hansel. And I'm Mr. D.D. Doo-Doo. All right, we did it, and I got to run. Okay, I'll see you later. I'll send you these two files. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, so on a scale of 1 to 10. I have to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Oh, okay, sure. Go ahead. (whistles) La, 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 la. I'll play games at the Ladybug Picnic. It's been too long since we took the time. No one's to blame. I know time flies so quickly. But when I see you, darling, it's like we both are falling in love again. It'll be... Did I miss something? Nope. Okay.